The opinions expressed on Tomahawk Talk do not reflect that of WVFS Tallahassee. From the highest point on Florida State's campus and the hottest room in Seminole Sports, this is Tomahawk Talk. Wherever you may be and however you may be listening, we are streaming live on wvfs.fsu.edu and are also on air locally on 89.7 FM here in Tallahassee, Florida. If you would like to call into the show, feel free to dial us up at 850-644-3871. And as always, if you miss this show or any other future show, you can always go back and listen to us on the Tomahawk Talk podcast, available anywhere you get your podcasts at. Be sure to like and subscribe to the entire V89 podcast network while you're at it. We greatly appreciate it. I'm your host, Luke Hazen, excited to join you on another Monday here in Tallahassee, this time with it being a finals week edition of the show. So I just wanted to say good luck to all the Knowles out there wrapping up their semesters, uh, and we greatly appreciate you tuning into the show during this this hectic week for so many people. I took my last final today, so I sympathize. I, I was cramming all last night instead of, instead of paying attention to the, the Sunday night football game like I probably should have been for this show, but hey, you know, duty calls when you're a student at FSU here. A lot to get into in the world of sports from last week, including FSU women's soccer playing for another national championship tonight. And the men's basketball team struggling on the road and then back at home in their ACC opener. Just a charcuterie board of, of sports to get into tonight. But first, joining me as always in the co-host chair is my good friend and colleague, Gabe. Gabe Tisnes, how you doing, bud? I'm doing great. You know, finals is is a lot, like you said, but we're almost there. We're almost there. Just got to get through this week, and then I'll probably have a charcuterie board and watch the, the Formula <laughs> One race on, on Sunday morning, 8 a.m. That's the, the last race of... Formula One season with Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton neck and neck tied on points currently, but Max has the edge with one more victory than him right now. So if they both crash for some reason, they would give it to Max. So I was about to say I was you know yesterday I was watching the Sunday the Sunday games and uh, at the same time I saw a bunch of people that that cover F one talking and all I could see was. Max and Lewis, Max and yeah. Lewis, going back and forth. So I, I'm like, you know more about it than me. <laughs> I, I find it fascinating at times, though. I've uh, seen, I've seen the the Netflix show uh, Formula One. And that's about it. <laughs> that, that's all I really know. But it's it's going to be really fun to watch on Sunday because they're neck and neck, and anything can happen on Formula One. So yeah. What's your finest, hardest final this week, by the way? I have an essay on a book that I have to mm. read this week. <laughs> what book? I think I'm gonna go with The Great Gatsby. Classic. Yeah. Absolute classic there. F. Scott. Shout out to F. Scott Fitzgerald, by the way. <laughs> uh, also joining the panel tonight, making her return to the show, Kylie Brennan. Kylie, how you doing? I'm doing great. I'm in the same boat where I have a lot of finals to study for, too, but really nice to come on the show and have a little bit of stress relief. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're, we're glad to have you back on the show. And also joining us right next to you is Jackson Bakich coming back to the show. Jackson, how are you, bud? You know, I'm doing absolutely wonderful. And if I was doing Give any it to better, me. if I was oh, doing gosh. any better, Think I'd be dead. So, just absolutely excited to be here, and let's get the show on the road. Yeah, yes, always, sir. always glad to hear those words from Jackson as he joins the show. Uh, but first, shout out Jackson and Kylie. But they're Dolphins. I know Jackson. You went down to the game to see that the Dolphins uh, beat the Giants this weekend. Uh, how was that experience? Great experience. Um, almost, I'd say probably about ninety percent attendance there in Miami. Uh, running a five-game winning streak now. Um, Giants. They had Saquon. They had a lot of their targets. They had a lot of people there, but they had Mike Glennon, sadly. Mm. Uh, no, no, no disrespect to Mr. Glennon, <laughs> but he's not Danny Dimes, and so they just weren't able to really 
getting the offense going. But it was a great experience. A lot of new, new uh, excuse me, a lot of New York Giants fans there. About probably fifteen thousand, ten to fifteen thousand there. So it was a it was a unique experience. Especially I was sitting on the away side, um, so it was kind of in the sea of blue mm-hmm. while in Hard Rock. So it was a, it was an interesting dichotomy there. Before yeah. before we start, I, I have a question. What what's the bigger jump from Mike Glennon to Danny Dimes or Taysom Hill to Lamar Jackson? I would I would probably say I'm still going to stand by it. Taysom Hill to Lamar Jackson is just preposterous to me. One's an MVP, one's might see his way out the door pretty soon. I don't know. One one literally was uh, benched in favor of Trevor Simeon when when it he, came he had a concussion. To, uh, sure. Oh, you mean against Dallas? Yeah, I'm just saying yeah, straight yeah. up. They they eventually went to Simeon, but anyway, I digress. We'll get into we we'll get into football. <laughs> we'll get into football a little bit later on, but first. The topic of the hour, the topic of the night here in Tallahassee, FSU soccer advanced on what? Jack, what was it? Saturday? Yep. Friday Saturday, night, no, I thought. Friday or yeah, or, no, sorry, it was it was Friday yeah, night. It was a one was a one zero win over Rutgers. Exactly. In their well, second straight uh, final. Yeah. So, so women's soccer gets the win over uh, Rutgers, one nil in uh, regulation time to advance to the finals, where they will play BYU tonight. Uh, Jalen Howell with the only goal off a corner kick uh, in the 71st minute to give FSU uh, a lead late in the game. And then Christina Roque had some just some incredible saves late in that game. There was one in the 77th minute, uh, just an absolutely awesome attempt to preserve the shutout. Uh, the 13th shutout of the season for the Knowles. I think they're outscoring their opponents some, like 60-something to 13. I think the insane stat would be that FSU has only given up one goal this entire tournament, and that was a... That was a uh, maybe a controversial penalty against South Alabama, or I'm sorry, excuse me, it was in their second round game. But even that was iffy. Other than that, no goal given up in normal uh, regular play. Yeah, yeah, it was against SMU, and uh, that was the second round of the tournament. I didn't even know that. I've been covering this whole team for the FSU. Uh, shout out to them. The was, They were the, the front page news, and yeah. the title was Football School, but obviously for <laughs> the reasons that people would probably not expect. There. Um, this team has been such a joy to cover, and uh, I'm just so sad that the seniors are leaving because they've been here since 2017, 2018, and it's going to be tough to say goodbye to players like Jalen Howell. And I mean, yeah, Jalen. you have your captain scoring the only yeah. goal of the game, stepping up. She was in the right place at the right time like she always is. And sophomore Christina Roach, she was the one that, that really kept the game at bay because before the goal, uh, there was a save around right around the, the, the second half starting where I thought it was a goal, and she just punched it out, and, and that that's what – kept Florida State 0-0 to allow Jalen Howe to come in and, and score that goal because, I mean, we've never really seen this team have to come back because they're always dominating. So um, for them to, to be able to get a, a 1-0 lead and not have to claw, claw back, that was that was really important for them to, to do. And now they, they face BYU. They're number 13 in the nation. They're the fourth seed from their side of the bracket. They beat Santa Clara, the team that beat FSU last year. Um, so no rematch there, which is kind of sad for me because I kind of wanted to see FSU get the best of their demons, but this will do, I think. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's absolutely crazy when you put this kind of a win uh, over Rutgers. And just touching up on it real quick, the 1-0 the one finish, uh, that's kind of been what FSU has, has relied on lately, I yeah. feel like. It hasn't been a whole lot of high-flying, high-scoring affairs at all. They've just been relying on their athleticism and their defense for most of the latter stretch of the season, it feels like. Yeah, it's been the third straight 1-0 game that they, that they win. Yeah. Um, the first was a fifth-minute goal by Jody Brown. The next one was a golden goal in the first half of extra time by Beata Olsen, and now Jalen Howell scoring around the, the second half, or the, the middle part of the second half. Yeah. Uh, so hopefully FSC doesn't have to resort to that this game against BYU, but if they do, then 
it'll it'll throw me back to whenever they went one nil up against Santa Clara last year, right. and they eventually got tied with four minutes left, uh, which was really disappointing because then they went to PKs. I think if they do go to PKs, the the demons will will come uh, full bright, and they <laughs> will be really tough to beat. But I don't think that that will be the case. I think FSU. Are we doing predictions now? Or? No, 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 no. Well, first I just wanted to put you know to put a little uh, this game into context a little bit. Uh, going to Kylie and Jackson here. I mean. This is their third title game in four years for this program. It's the sixth title game in program history. It's uh, the program's 71st postseason win. They're now second all-time behind North Carolina. Uh, just, Kylie, if you could touch on it, how amazing it is that this program is defying odds and making history almost every single night that they're in this postseason, and yet still kind of flying under the radar uh, below the like the toxicity that's come with the, floor, uh, the football program and also... Uh, the, the accolades that the basketball program has gotten? I think it's pretty astounding. I mean, honestly, we see that a lot with female sports and behind, like, the whole tagline, women in sports. Uh, a lot of times sports like this go underrated because they're not the forefront most popular basketball and football. And I think that they've clearly made a name for themselves, even though maybe not getting the coverage they deserve. And they certainly do deserve it. Yeah. And Jackson, you know, this will be their third title game in four years, but in that stretch, they only have one title to show for back in 2018. How big of a win is this for the program if they could finally get that, that signature win in a title game despite being there uh, all this time? Well, since we won one in, what, 2014 and 2018, yep. correct? correct? I think this win will solidify us as a, a new blood like we are in basketball. You know, like UNC has been, and I know you stated that, We've won 71 postseason wins. Yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, when you think of Florida State, you don't think of soccer. You don't think of women's soccer. And when you think of North Carolina, you think of basketball. And you just, I think it's connected. Oh, what? You hear Sebastian? Me? <laughs> yeah, yeah, sorry. I'm, I'm moving mics around. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> okay. can you hear me? Yeah, yeah we're okay. good. Um, when, when you think of North Carolina, you think of basketball, and they also have a rich tradition in women's soccer as well. So for Florida State to get this win tonight, that could really propel them into that kind of... Um, Rarefied air. Right? Excuse, yeah. exactly, exactly. Exactly. So, Gabe, when we're looking at this game against BYU tonight, uh, what are a couple things, a couple of, of indications uh, early on in this game that you're going to be looking for to, to tell if Florida State's uh, in it to win it this year? Well, something that is pretty popular with Florida State women's soccer is that they don't really care about their opponents. They will go out there and play their possession-style-based um, game, and Marker Corian will adjust throughout the game. He, he has an idea of what the other team will do, but he's not afraid of taking chances with players like Ron Ewai, if that's how you pronounce her name. Uh, but she's a sophomore. She, played her, he, she started her second game of the season last game against Rutgers, number one Rutgers, the biggest game of the season up to there, and she started on the left wing because the left wing position has not really been solidified. They've had Jenna Nicewanger come in there. They've had Christina Lynch uh, try and, and, and see what she can do there. But um, for the most part, the, the team is solidified, but the left wing is something I'm going to be looking at to see who starts. Um, he, Mark McQueen loves to go to the bench, so it's not so much about who starts, but how does the game go, how does the game flow, and, and who, who, who are the players that are actually going to be able to match up with, with BYU um, I've heard that BYU plays pretty fast, so I, I wonder how that will carry on throughout the game because I think Florida State's key is to get up 
on a 1-0 lead early in the first half. So they don't have to worry about that going into the second half because then palms get sweaty and next thing you know, counterattack happens and then you're, you're losing 1-0. Yeah. And Florida State, like I said, they are usually dominating. They're usually winning. Um, so game state is something important for Florida State because they're, they're very they, – they like to control the, the tempo of the game. And you can't really do that if you have to go out of your way and change things up. So for them to, to at least keep it tied for most of the game, but if they can take a lead, then it's going to be really hard for BYU because then they're going to have to actually start getting out of their comfort zone and attacking way too much uh, because teams like to settle down on a low block, um, park the bus, if you will. So I, I think Florida State has it in the bag. I'm not going to wow. lie. Hmm. I, well, I really do. Yeah, that's the one thing. I think it's I think it's important for both of these teams, but more important for BYU, I'd say, to get up early in this game because I feel – if you're playing from a deficit, yes, that intensity cranks up. Yes, that aggression uh, cranks up. You know, you you know that you need to score to at least tie it, or else you're going to lose. At the same time, your attention to detail falters a little bit like that. And I think BYU, if they're off their A game, if they're not, you know, if they're playing from a deficit, uh, I think it's more imperative for them to get out to an early lead like that. And BYU hasn't been here before. This is their first ever yeah. final. This is Florida State's third in four years, and. Uh, I mean, the amount of experience that these players have, it obviously comes with the, the reality that they've played a lot of games, so legs will have to be rotated and whatnot. But I do think that Florida State, they, they came out shooting against Rutgers three shots in the first five minutes. So I think they're going to do something similar. I hope they can keep up the intensity uh, throughout the whole game. Um, but I, I really do think that FSU just has so much talent. And like we, like we talked about, they've been the best team, really, for the last two years, not, not even this year. They've had their, their ups and downs with... The, the end of the, the regular season where, where they tied twice and they lost uh, against Duke. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, they've won three games, one one nil, which is not really impressive, but, I mean, they've beaten a lot of really good teams on the way here. So it doesn't really matter how you win as long as you do it. But at the same time, if you want to be in the history books, it doesn't really matter what you do in the regular season and on the way to the final. You have to cap it off with a victory. Finish it off. And yeah. so, Jack, I'll go to you for this one. Last year, FSU season ends in heartbreak in PKs to, to Santa Clara there. Ironically enough, Santa Clara is sent home this year in penalties uh, against BYU. So I'm going to ask you to start us off with the predictions here, how you see this championship game turning out for Florida State. Well, what I think is that um, if this does go to penalties, I would like to point out Florida State has not gone to penalties throughout the bracket. They've handled everybody with 1-0 wins, whether it be in – or their uh, tougher opponents have been handled in 1-0 affairs, whether it was against Michigan or if it was against uh, – Sorry, against Rutgers, yeah. and that went to extra time. We haven't seen them in penalties. Uh, they didn't even have to really do that in the uh, ACC tournament at all. So it will be interesting to see what they put out and how they do it. And if it does go to penalties, how do they avenge you know what happened uh, last year? Um, I think that both teams could really claw it out they need to if they want to do a shooting affair. They both can. They both have had some high-scoring uh, games in their earlier rounds, and they could uh, really just claw out wins. What I'm going to think is that... Who has been, who has been the face of this program? Who has been a big part of why this team is where it is? And I think Jalen Howell, with her goal against um, Rutgers, is once again going to come up. It's going to be a close one, but I do think BYU is going to put one past Christina Roke. Uh, by the way, shout out to Roke. Went to high school with her same <laughs> year. Uh, but um, I think it'll be a two-one Florida State win, and it'll break their chain of every four years winning a championship. So 2014, 2018, and I will put it down as 2021 do i feel mega confident about that not entirely but if i had to choose i would go with florida state 
just because, again, BYU has not been in this situation, if they come up and uh, we don't know how they're going to respond. So I think they will come out, and Florida State will win 2-1. That's my call. Gabe, how about you? I I might be way too optimistic here, but I'm seeing a 3-0, 3-1 win. Wow. And I... Well, you, you have to clarify... There's a huge difference between a shutout and a three-one. Yeah, that's true. Go ahead and go. Go ahead and predict I, the shutout. I think. I th- <laughs> All right, let's go with a three-nil. Let's go there with a three-nil. There you go. They get their 14th shutout of the year, which I mean, I don't know if that's some sort of record, but it definitely seems to be up there. Um, Florida State loses tonight. I'm putting that on Gabe. Okay. Yeah, okay. I'll, Jack's putting it on Gabe if Florida State. I'll loses have the blood in my hands, but. I, I am just feeling really confident, and I'm not afraid of it because I've seen this team the whole year. I've seen last year as well. Like They are the best of the best, the cream of the crop. They have so much talent from outside of this country, inside of the country. Mark Recoin has been here before. He's, he's seen it all. There's nothing that this team will see tonight that they haven't seen before. And, and they have so much motivation from last year, how they finished off. They, they came in this year knowing that this is the one thing that they wanted the most. They were not going to settle for anything less. And, I mean, they've, they've, they've still faced adversity. Like, we, we talked about their domination, but they've still had a lot of tests, especially, like we talked about, with the end of the, the regular season, um, even in the playoffs. I mean, it's not been a, a foregone conclusion, but I think, if anything, that's helped them realize how good they are. They just need to be composed, stay calm for the whole 90 minutes, and not – at the end of the day, I, I do think that FSU will lose this game more than BYU will win it because of how good they are. And it, what I mean by that is if they do a turnover in the back, if the back line somehow loses composure, I think that's where BYU will, will strike like like they did against – or like Santa Clara did against FSU mm-hmm. over a year ago. Or not even a year ago because it was in the spring. But, yeah, I, I do think that FSU will come out with a 3-0 no win. Um, I third, think third title in program history. Third title in program history. And I'm saying Jui Zhao, Beata Olsen, and Jody Brown score. Wow. There you go. Fiery, fiery prediction from Gabe there. Yeah, that's an in-depth out there. Jackson, that's... I'll go to you next. So BYU, this is their first final. Yeah. This is Florida State's third and last four, correct? Yes. So I think automatically Florida State's going to have that mental edge. I am predicting a 2 to nil Florida State victory, and they will come back to Tallahassee to celebrate with champagne and charcuterie boards. <laughs> <laughs> Kylie, what say you? Well, I was going to say the exact same thing, actually. I was going to go 2-0, so I kind of looked at Jackson like, hey, man. My bad. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> so 2-0 from Kylie there. I'm going to go ahead and say I think they played another nail-biter. It's been the theme of this entire tournament. I think it's a 1-0. I think it's a 1-0 final in, in, re- in regular time. Yeah, okay. yeah. FSU's not sweating it out that much, but I do think that they get the victory. Another shutout uh, for the record books. Third time on program history. We shall see that game kicks off. It, it would make sense. 8 p.m. Florida State's last three games have all been 1-0 wins against Pepperdine, Michigan, and Rutgers. Yeah, okay. so we shall see that game kicks off at 8 o'clock. Yes. ESPNU yep. for Florida State women's soccer. Good stuff there, guys. Um, moving on to college football a little bit, though. You know, FSU, Mike Norvell obviously is on the recruiting trail right now, getting ready for that early signing period. So not a whole lot of news other than uh, – what was outside of Tallahassee this week, uh, and guys, we now know what the playoff is playoff bracket is going to be for the college football playoff. Alabama with the one seed, Michigan with the two seed, Georgia comes in with the three seed, and Cincinnati with the four seed. So you get those matchups. Alabama and Cincinnati will play in the Cotton Bowl in uh, Arlington, Texas, and Michigan and Georgia will play in the Orange Bowl uh, in Miami. I believe on New Year's Eve, if I'm not mistaken. I thought they I thought they learned from their mistakes a couple years ago. Yeah, they're both on, on New Year's Eve this year. Oh boy! I 
adamantly against that. I would much rather see him play on New Year's Day. Why but, is that? Why, why, I, I like the New Year's Eve. I, 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 you know, people have other stuff to do on New Year's Eve besides just the playoff. Like New Year's, New Year's Day, you're, you're not cel- No one celebrates New Year's Day, right? So you throw in a bunch of awesome college football games to I, fill the slate. With. I think the idea is to, since people are already together in parties, that they're all going to tune in and watch. But they but, won't, though. That's what I'm saying. But I think with New Year's Day, I think there's kind of like that. Uh, tradition they want to uphold with all the other bulls that have that new year's day slot and i know you're rolling your eyes I but yeah. but i think that's the mindset yeah i uh, this is the year that they do it because the rose bowl is not one of the semifinals. otherwise yeah. they would put it on new year's day at, at four o'clock uh but anyway let's talk about how we got to this point uh alabama in the sec championship game this week comes in as a believe it or not a six and a half point underdog to george in this game and anytime, I mean, you give me Nick Saban as an underdog, I'm taking that bet every time. And that's exactly how it played out. Alabama, after the first five, seven minutes or so when Georgia went ten, uh, up 10 nothing, mm-hmm. Alabama kind of rolled them. Bryce Young yeah. with probably the performance of the year uh, against that Georgia defense that came in uh, giving up just under seven points a game. Uh, they end up winning it 41-27, I believe, is the final. Um and Georgia's kind of licking their wounds after this, Jackson. Uh, what is this, you know, should Georgia's confidence after losing a game like this be rattled heading into the playoff? I don't think so. I mean, they, they went the whole year through an SEC slate, 12-0, and going into the conference championship game against a really good Alabama team. And an Alabama team that, when they're playing at their best, can destroy, not just beat, but destroy anybody, I think. And they've proven that. Not only this year, but year, I know you can't really use years past, but years past they have. And, and they're a team that they have the same coach that's been there for forever. is one of the greatest coaches of all time, if not the greatest college football coach of all time. So you can use past years. If I'm on the committee, you can't. I mean, I wouldn't. But as a fan, as somebody that kind of covers the sport, you can use past Alabama teams to kind of say, you know, this is a reoccurring pattern that they will do really well when the chips are stacked against them. However, going to Georgia, I apologize. They shouldn't worry yet because they allowed just seven points a game defensively throughout the entire year before this Alabama game, and it happens. You have bad games sometimes. And so they're going against a Michigan team that hasn't gone through the SEC slate that Georgia has, and I see Georgia winning them by touchdown plus. Really? Wow. You see, Kylie, my problem is I, I at this point we have a big enough sample size I don't trust Stetson Bennett in a big game at all at this point. If he gets down even a touchdown, like as soon as Alabama took the lead on Georgia, you could see that the game was entirely different, uh, not only for the the Georgia defense that was playing from behind now, but for Stetson Bennett, who went on to throw a couple more picks in the game, uh, just clearly being outclassed by Bryce Young. I feel like it's kind of imperative for Georgia to get a lead on Michigan if they're going to have a chance to win this game. I completely agree with you, and I have to say, as someone watching the game, it was frustrating to watch Stetson Bennett. Um, As any member of any team, it's incredibly disheartening to watch someone that's supposed to be your leader sort of give up on you. I mean, that's that's not even fun to watch. Nonetheless, play, but um, honestly, I, I think that they should be humbled by that, and I think that... They shouldn't even be thinking about Alabama right now. Michigan's the only thing that should be on your mind because Michigan is the roadblock to get back to Alabama. Right. But, but Jackson, you can't not think about it in the back of your head. 
No, I was about to say I, I agree. Thing. I agree with the scenario that when bets when excuse me when when Bennett gets down, yeah, that he doesn't play that well. But I, I think in this Michigan game, I don't see them going down. Okay, I, I think their defense mm-hmm. is that good, and so that's th- that's what I was trying to get to. But I rambled about Alabama for too long. Uh, I apologize. But the counter argument I'll make is they clearly played the best team that they'll play all season in Alabama, in mm-hmm. my opinion. The second best team they'll they'll have played all season is going to be Michigan, and those two are a class above anyone that Georgia faced in the SEC this year. I, off the top of my head, who can, was Kentucky the toughest opponent that Georgia played before they eventually went on to play Alabama? And like Michigan's in another stratosphere against Kentucky. So I'm, I'm afraid that if Georgia gets into a shootout in this sort of game, uh, I, I trust Cade McNamara from Michigan more than I trust Stetson Bennett. What about Jim Harbaugh never being able to win the big game other than this past Ohio State team? He's just think? won the last two big games. He won the Big Ten championship. Oh, come on. He Iowa, Ohio Iowa, State. Iowa is <laughs> is the worst 10-2 and two team I've ever seen in my entire life. 10-2. Well, but at the same time, if Michigan were to lose that game, Jim Harbaugh would have gotten killed yeah. for, for losing to that Iowa team. So it's like That's he did true. what he had to do. We should we should give him credit That's for true. that. Gabe, and and it, was a very, yeah. it was a very good win. I apologize. Sorry. Right, they, and they blew him out. Gabe, I want to get your opinion on, on this upcoming matchup with, with uh, uh, Michigan and Georgia and just looking at it uh, after Georgia comes off a loss, Michigan comes off a huge win. It sort of feels like a contention point right there with, with both these teams. We've talked about it before. Momentum is real. Momentum even before games is, is something that teams have to pay attention to because the players are going to have to think about these things at some point. And uh, I think Georgia will have to ask themselves, Hey, are we who we thought we were or <laughs> are, right. are we not, are we not there yet? And I, I thought the whole year it was kind of Georgia's year because we saw Alabama lose against Texas A&M and whatnot. And I do think like Kylie was saying, they have to focus on Michigan now because I mean, the fact of the matter is Michigan is not a bad team at all. And it's not a foregone conclusion, even though Georgia is, I think, mi- pl- minus seven right now. Yeah. So I, I would say, if anything, they have this game to beat a really good team and tell themselves, hey, that was just one game. Like, you know, that, that, that can happen to anybody against Alabama. Come on. But then if you do get a rematch, then you have to actually turn up like you were supposed to. And, and that's a whole other thing when we get there because Alabama should get there. They get Cincinnati. The, the, the match of that people like me were dreaming of because i mean cincinnati has had so much garbage thrown their way and, and they finally get their, their their say in the matter i'm really happy that they're in the in the playoffs for because i mean it, it's just no they deserve it and we'll we'll get into cincinnati a little bit on the other side of the half but as you kind of wrap up the first half with the uh, last minute or two here's what i'll say about georgia jackson and this is what kind of my point that i was getting to um we went i want to say a solid two to three months not talking about Georgia on this show at all mm-hmm. because we just wrote them off as the number one. They're going to be there no matter what. And I don't think they played from a deficit at all during that point. I think the last time we talked yeah. about them mm-hmm. was before their game against Arkansas. Blew them out of the water, and then we said, okay, never mind. We're, we'll reevaluate when we get back to Atlanta when they go to play Alabama. And I know that now is not the time, and I don't think that Georgia is going through an identity crisis or anything like that. <laughs> But when I'm looking at this game on paper, give me one good reason why Michigan can't be in the fourth quarter with Georgia in this game. Give me one. like I never said they wouldn't be. Right, right. So, I mean, that's a good point. But at the same time, I think all of us, and I don't want to speak for all of us, but I think all of us were saying that Georgia, the whole year, Georgia mm-hmm. is a class above everybody. Georgia is a class above everybody. Georgia is a class above everybody. Were we wrong? 
We were. We yeah, were, and that's how. Uh, but all know. of a sudden, now you know they're just this this team that that can't compete with. It. Not, I didn't say that. You said that, but they're all of a sudden they're this team that can't compete with the big boys when the lights are on, and I just think that's a little bit of an overreaction. So yeah, we we'll shall. see. We'll see really quickly. You know, we might not get this panel back. I want to get your picks for this the, the playoff game. So okay. first, we'll go Alabama Cincinnati. I'm going Alabama by twelve. Double digits, twelve, <laughs> Kylie. I really want to take Cincy just because I love an underdog story. So let's just let's just go with oh it. Boy, we'll, we'll take we'll take Cincy oh by my. three. Jeez. We'll just by run three. with it. All right, all right. We got a Cincinnati pick on the board. Gabe, what about you? Uh, I'll go Alabama by. Uh, let's go seventeen. Seventeen. Yeah. I, th- I think it's twenty-one plus. Mm. I think Alabama's. <laughs> I think Alabama's gonna roll. It's the largest spread of any bowl game. Yeah. And it's a playoff game. That's insane. They, it's they, minus they did lose that. John Mechie. They did. They arguably did. their best receiver. So. But we sh- they got Bryce Young. So they got yeah. Jamison Williams. Um, and then real quick, we'll go back. Georgia, Michigan. I'm going Georgia twenty-three. Michigan eighteen. I think Michigan will have a chance to win the game on the last drive, and Georgia stops them. Mm. Yeah, Kyle. Yeah, I mean, I'll take Georgia by seven. So? I think it's going to be really close. Okay. Uh, Gabe, what about you? Man, I I really want to see Alabama-Georgia once again to see Georgia lose. And, and Kirby Smart <laughs> falls to 0-5. I'm just yes. I'm just dreaming of that matchup. But um, I do think Georgia pulls it off, and, and we see that matchup once again. I'm going to go Georgia 24, Michigan 17. 24-17. Hmm. I actually think it's a lot bigger of a deficit than that. I, I see Georgia winning this game uh, by multiple scores just by the simple fact that I don't think Michigan is in the same stratosphere as Alabama in terms of offense. Uh, so I'm going to go Georgia 31, Michigan 17. I think it's a 14-point win for the Dogs. And if Alabama-Georgia is anything like it was in 2017 in that national championship, we are in for a good one. But that is going to do it for the first half of Tomahawk Talk. Uh, for this Monday, uh, we'll be right back. We're going to talk a little bit college football coaching carousel uh, and then FSU men's basketball NFL to wrap it up on Tom Ock Talk on WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. All right, we are back for the second half of Tomahawk Talk here on WVFS Tallahassee. I'm your host, Luke Hazen, joined by Gabe Tisnes, Jackson Bakich, Kylie Brennan, uh, talking a little bit FSU soccer that will get underway at 8 o'clock in the first half and also college football playoff just breaking down uh, how those four teams match up against each other uh, come this New Year's Eve but this is the juicier part that I wanted to get to Jackson I know we've been talking about it a bunch uh, all of us uh, this is kind of the the backbone of college football the, the ludicrous stuff off of the field that happens every single year in the coaching carousel and we had a couple big hires in the meantime since we've been off air we talked last week uh, the huge blockbuster deal of Lincoln Riley leaving Oklahoma to go to USC and how that might impact just the shift in, in, in powers in college football and also the recruiting uh, aspects of California now. But since then, literally, as we were signing off at 8 o'clock on Monday, we get a breaking news that Brian Kelly, coach of Notre Dame, or former coach of Notre Dame, is now heading south to Baton Rouge to coach the LSU Tigers who are filling their spot for Ed Orgeron. Uh, so really quickly, Jackson, rapid fire, what is your take on Brian Kelly going to LSU and his, his outlook there? Personally for him, I think it's a, um, it's, a, it's a move 
that should be respected. The way he did it, though, I disagree. I think he did it in a disrespectful way. Like he was, he didn't tell. Uh, any you're, of the talk, staff you're talking just in terms of how he treated the players leaving Notre Dame. Not only the players, but the staff. Um, there was a tweet from a blue check guy. Pardon me, I don't have his name. But basically, he was saying he he told a recruit in an in-home visit that he told the recruit that Brian Kelly was staying, and then about 20 minutes later, Brian Kelly he says broke. he's leaving. Yeah. And in terms of how he left, did it very poorly. Um, so no thumbs up for that one. But the decision to say, hey, I've never set foot in the South as a head coach or even as an assistant or on any staff. I'm going to set foot, excuse me, I'm going to step foot into the South, and I'm going to prove that I can coach with the Kirby Smarts, with the Nick Sabans, with the Jimbo Fishers. I think it's a it's a really, really cool move, and I respect that part of it. Yeah, uh, and, you know, if, if I'm Brian Kelly, I'm looking at uh, the different places where I could. Like, that's the only thing missing off of Brian Kelly's resume at this point is a national championship. He's done just about everything you could at Notre Dame. Uh, it's just the fact that they keep running into Alabama every single year they make the playoff or go to a national championship game. Well, then Brian Kelly takes a look and says, okay, no, no, no. If I go to LSU, it's clearly a step above Notre Dame in terms of my outlook of winning a national championship, getting that final stamp on the resume there. Uh, And Brian Kelly, as great a coach as he is, I do have a a little bit of an issue as to how he's going to recruit down there in the South. Jackson mentioned that he's never set foot in the South as an assistant coach, as a grad, (laughs) as a grad assistant, anything. He's never coached down in the South, Gabe. Um, and, you know, part of, part of me speaks from experience and, uh, you know, looking at and covering uh, the Florida Gators in the last couple years with Dan Mullen and his inability to relate to recruits down there that ultimately did him in. Now, I'm not saying Brian Kelly is at, at, at that poor level of recruiting as Dan Mullen was at Florida, uh, but is there any sort of uh, preca- precautions that you're taking when you're looking at this job right now? Or is it a, a, a slam dunk? Brian Kelly's going to win a national championship at LSU. Oh, definitely not, definitely not. I mean, LSU right now is trying to recover. I mean, they're, they're trying to rebuild, if anything. And, you know, they're a big program, so they'll be able to do it in some time. But I don't think Brian Kelly is going to be able to do it in one or two years. And uh, it's, it's, it's not the fit that most people would have dreamed of, like we've talked about. But at the end of the day, he knows his X's and O's. He knows how to coach a football team. He knows how to build a program, even though it was not the same – environment by any means but I think it winning carries over wherever you go so I I wouldn't have done it if I was Brian Kelly but I respect the decision because like like Jackson was saying you know it takes some courage and, and it definitely leaves the, the the future wide open which which can be a good or bad thing so we're gonna see fortune favors the bold yeah I, the one thing that you know history you know we look back at history it's a proven point at this point uh, if you coach at LSU you will win a national championship. The last three of them have done it. Nick Saban to Les Miles to Ed Ordron, all three of them, no matter what their skill is as a recruiter or as a coach, uh, the talent is so dense in Louisiana and in the South like that, and LSU is such a draw to, to players. I think it, you know, Brian Kelly would really have to screw this up uh, <laughs> by himself if he wasn't at least contending in the playoff for a national championship but in the first couple of years. Um, but, Kyle, I thought this was interesting talking about Brian Kelly, you go from Les Miles eating grass on the field to Ed Ordron, who was practically like a swamp monster at the podium when he was talking, to now you get Brian Kelly doing his best like foghorn leghorn impression, oh just a, a, a fake southern accent. What did you What did you make of that? 
Honestly, I think that that just shows that he'll fit right in. He's, at he's LSU. trying to ingratiate himself <laughs> to the people. I mean, maybe, maybe he's trying to make a statement there. He's, I'm, I think it it works for him. Give him time. Yeah. Here with my family down in here in That's Louisiana. Jackson with the spot on impression of Brian Kelly right there. It'll be interesting. I think he's a great coach. I think he's going to do well at LSU, but certainly some sideshow activities going on with the the fake accent there. Can uh, I just say I think. Brian Kelly going to Notre Dame is equivalent to Edo going to no- wait. Excuse me. Brian Kelly going to LSU is equivalent to Edo going to Notre Dame in terms of just how weird the fit is. Oh yeah, if it it is. Is. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. Uh, really quickly though, before we get into to the bigger uh, hires here that have to do with Florida State, um, Marcus Freeman appointed a head coach at, uh, at Notre Dame. What, what what's your take on that, Jackson? I think it's a great hire. Yeah. The players love him. Yeah. He played at Ohio State. Um. So he kind of understands the Midwest. He understands that that recruiting line. that recruiting line exactly. And not only that, his rise has been so quick. Mm-hmm. It's been very present. He was just the DC at Cincinnati a year ago. Yeah. And so, I think for Notre Dame to, you know, finally get their claws on him and to finish the deal was a huge step for them. And I, I think it'll be a new era for Notre Dame. Just a completely different type of Eric because that dude is known to be a great recruiter and if he and he's kind of credited with their great recruiting recruiting class that they have right now coming in I think it's 23 is the great class they have coming in so we could see a real change of context in which how we view Notre Dame and how they recruit yeah so who knows it's an exciting time I think he's the perfect man for the job and ever obviously everyone around that program seems to think so too I think he was a a surefire. I'm. I'm not even sure they went and interviewed Luke Fickle. I think they, they went straight to Marcus Freeman, if I'm not mistaken, and appointed him as head coach. Um, but a little more coaching news that impacts Florida State a little more directly. Uh, Gabe Mario Cristobal, head coach at Oregon, back to back Pac-12 champions in 2019 and 2020. A great recruiter out there at Oregon. Uh, he gets poached. I want to say last Thursday or Friday. Uh, there were rumors swirling about. Cristobal uh, potentially taking on the role at Miami uh, down here in Florida. And then Oregon goes out, lays an egg in the Pac-12 championship, and then as, as, as soon as you know it, today and really into late last night, uh, they announced that Mario Cristobal will in fact be the next head coach at Miami. Manny Diaz is out. Uh, side note, I, I thought it was absolutely poor the way that yeah. they treated Manny Diaz on the way out uh, with, with this uh, he said, she said, will they, won't they sort of uh, thing. Like, they were going to keep Manny Diaz if Cristobal didn't want the job. And let that be public knowledge to Manny Diaz that, oh, no, we will not keep you if this dude that we think is better than you comes along. But you can stay and, and clean up your own mess if he doesn't say yes. Um, so Cristobal obviously comes to Miami, a huge, huge paycheck, not only to buy him out of his contract to Oregon, but also the assistant pool that he's getting here at Miami uh, – what did you make of this 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 move by Miami as they try as they try to as they try to re try to rebuild? Yeah, like you talked about it. I mean, it was such a classless way to do it. You know, you expect more yeah. from from a program like Miami to do <laughs> things right, but once again, they, they prove you. <laughs> I guess not. They prove you wrong. But uh, yeah, I think Miami is trying to do the right things. I think this is a good hire. Um, you hire a Miami native for all the, for all that matter. So uh, it seems like a, a shoe in. I, I think it's. A pretty decent hire. I I just I I don't buy Miami. I'm 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 sorry. I'm a Seminole fan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, Jackson. 
I thought it was interesting. It, it not only the move to hire Mario Cristobal, who had a decent record at Oregon, was a really great recruiter, but what stands out to me from this hire by Miami is the money, the money that's coming in for his program as a whole, for Cristobal and his assistants, and the the rededication of the Miami uh, athletic department to invest in their football program. Uh, does this worry you at all, covering the, the FSU and how this will impact FSU? Well, it worries me a little bit because I think Cristobal could be their guy for a while. Mm-hmm. And what did they commit? Twenty million, right? The the school committed twenty million to along new, those lines, yeah, yeah, to to new football facilities and that nature. So, it seems like they're going all in. It seems like they're the uh, they're the Rams right now. They're just going all in. And uh, like you said, Cristobal had a great record at Oregon. He was thirty five and thirteen, which, you know, for Oregon standards, I think is a very good job. Um, obviously, they've been doing a lot better as of late, but. Am I worried? Not yet. Coaching turnover always takes some time. Um, And also, Miami is just a roller coaster team. Um, They haven't even won an ACC championship. They haven't been to an ACC championship title game since 2017. I think that was their only ACC championship game they've been to. So, like I said, I think it's going to take two to three years before anything postseason, major postseason happens for Miami. And as we've seen here in Tallahassee, uh, coaching changes just – don't help ever. Yeah, even if they make the postseason, there's no guarantee that they're they're happy with the product on the field. So uh, it's it's crazy, Kylie. What about you? I, I know that you you were sort of worried a little bit in what this could do for for FSU's recruiting down there. Yeah, honestly, Luke, I'm not gonna lie to you. It does worry me a little bit regarding the recruiting department. Uh, I think we're used to battling recruitment with the Gators, but this is right in our backyard. This is a conference, you know. Um, Obviously, Miami sees something big in him. This is a 10-year-long contract, over $8 million a year. That's a committed long-term relationship right there. I mean, they're going to enjoy so much charcuterie boards together. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm not sure whether the ones down in Miami are any better than the ones in Oregon. I know Oregon's big on wine country uh, over there. I mean, yeah, I, so I don't know. We shall see. But the other big coaching news to round out this, this sort of segment, um, Brent Venables. Brent Venables, the defensive coordinator at Clemson, one of their all-time greatest coaches that they've had there, um, has led Clemson to top five defenses, I think, the last six or seven years, I want to say. It's been impeccable what he's been able to do there. Um, He leaves Clemson to finally get to start up his own program at Oklahoma, replacing Lincoln Riley, uh, and leaving Clemson kind of struggling with it. Now Tony Elliott's gone, Jeff Scott is gone, and Brent Venable's all gone. Uh, Jackson, is this more about what Oklahoma is gaining or what Clemson is losing, in your opinion? I think they're about even. Um, I think Oklahoma, or excuse me, I think Clemson is losing a great defensive coordinator, and I think Oklahoma is gaining a great head coach. I, I, I think this hire, and while it's not exactly similar to Jimbo Fisher as he was at Coach and Waiting, I think this Brent Venables hire is just, I think it's going to play out just like Jimbo Fisher did at Florida State. You know, was a, an assistant under great coaches for a long time, and when he finally gets his opportunity to build his own program, it might take him a few years, but I think this Brent Venables hire is the best hire in the entire ca- coaching carousel. I think he's wow. that good. Wow. Hmm. We shall certainly see. I mean, Oklahoma kind of recruits itself. I'm sure he's going to have great success there, but I'll be interested to see what Clemson does. They, you know, 
they kind of went through an identity crisis on on offense this season. They didn't even have to worry about the defense, but now that they're losing uh, a guy that's been such a figurehead at Clemson as Brent Venables, uh, we shall see uh, next year for Clemson. Uh, moving and transitioning from college football into college basketball, uh, FSU men's basketball really disappointing week. Uh, not just because of the you know the games that they lost. Obviously, uh, they go on the road this last Wednesday uh, and lose at number one ranked now Purdue. Uh, just a humbling loss there, in my opinion. And then, not only that, but to go back home in the ACC opener and they drop that one 63 to 60 against a middling Syracuse team. Uh, it's you know, like I said, it's probably not best to look into the Purdue loss too much. Uh, they are the best team in the country. I've seen almost every game they've played this season and paying attention to them. Uh, they are the real deal. Everyone's going to lose to them that way this season, it feels like. But what disappoints me more, not only is it an ACC opener, it's a middling team in Syracuse that you're expected to beat at this point with the kind of program that you have at FSU, but it also snaps their 25-game ACC winning streak, Gabe. Uh, so what, if, what, if, what can we make of this Florida State uh, basketball team so far this season? Well, we disappointing knew, losses, yeah. I mean, we knew they were going to have growing pains, and we're seeing them right here. They're, they're, there's not going to get it's not going to get much worse than this. I anticipate. I I, I do think mm. that they're hitting the lowest of the low, at least for this this part of the season. Um, who knows what will happen in the future? But I do think that th- this is, has to do more with the players and, and their lack of experience. That this is something that they have to kind of go through in order to to get where they want to go. Um, you know, we, we've seen Coach Hamilton do a lot of good things with with other players. Similar to the the talent that we have currently uh, here, but I think that the, it also speaks to the the players that that Florida State has and how they match up with not just the teams in front of them, but with themselves. It doesn't seem like they're they're able to really piece up uh, the offense that that Coach Ham wants to run, um, and you know they're they're changing things up. So you have to give them time. You have to be patient. Uh, but it's obviously very. Uh, uncharacteristic to see them because for the last couple of years they've been really dominant so for them to not be ranked and, and just be losing like this um it, it, it's warning signs that that could be worse uh it could be red flags for the future but i do anticipate them kind of stabling the ship at some Riding point in the future yeah jackson to me it just looks like a couple guys that are being asked to do something that they haven't been asked to do before so you get guys like malik osborne and anthony polite who are used to being and excelling at their own roles and being those awesome role players from years past, they're being asked to do all these new things and they can't focus on what makes them uh, excellent players. What's your take on on what you've seen from those guys and really the team overall and and, uh, offensively and defensively? Well, those guys specifically, they need to be that guy. Right now, they aren't those guys. And... This, you know, every basketball team grows over a season, really any team, whether it's Pee Wee or it's the NFL. Every team grows over a season. This Florida State team needs to grow over the season, and they need to grow fast. Um, and I, I think they will hit their stride come March, but as of now, this team needs to get back to what, what made Leonard Hamilton's team so tough to play against in the past. I remember watching games when I was, you know, 10 or 11 years old with my dad, and he always yelled, you know, they can't throw it in the ocean just because <laughs> they were not great shooting teams. And right now, they need to get back to playing in the post. They need to get back to being able to score inside a lot more than, than focusing on the three. Um, the three absolutely killed them versus Syracuse. Yeah. Like you said, they were at like 7 or 8%. It's ridiculous. Um, near the end of the game. It, it, it was just tragic. Um, so they need to be able to focus on their defense and play tough in the, in the interior on the offensive end and get back to what made 
the stepping stone Florida State basketball teams um, what they were. Yeah, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. And uh, the problem is I just think that the identity that they've kind of uh, risen to fame with this Florida State program has been their size. Like they, in seasons past, they were bigger than just about anyone else. And this year it's a little different story. Malik bigger Osborne's, and deeper. Yeah, they were deeper. Malik Osborne's the biggest guy out there playing right now, and I think that's a problem uh, when he's being asked to do all these different things that he's accustomed to doing. Uh, Kylie, real quick to kind of wrap up the, the panel here, uh, what's your take on Florida State so far? And is are these fixable problems, or is this like a fundamental roster construction sort of error that, that Florida State's going through right now? Well, I think we could talk about offense all day, uh, just sitting there watching that game and just getting hopeful every time we went up for the three and then just nothing in return. Super frustrating, but I've seen a lack of pressure on defense. You know, I kept seeing Syracuse's Cole Swider, number 21 in the right corner there, just wide open, and he was one of their top scorers. He had 16 points against us, so... I mean, just as a fan from my seat, if I can say, hey, they go to that guy over and over and over and over, why is that not yeah, eventually going to change something up, up. on the court? Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. You know, Leonard Hamilton, I know he's coaching, you know, 18 to 22 year olds, but that's like <laughs> one of those keys that you can absolutely fixate on. Hey, if, if nothing else is going right for you on offense or defense, just key in on the one guy that keeps hurting us. Uh, it'll be something to see. They have a couple of, of easy games coming up on their schedule uh, as they look to right the ship there. But kind of wrapping up the show, talking a little NFL Week 13 recap. Uh, sort of a middling slate of games from this yeah. last week. The the late window got really good. I will say that. The the Seahawks-49ers game came <laughs> down to the wire. Uh, as the great Kevin Clark says, no Seahawks game is a normal game. They never play a normal <laughs> game whatsoever. Incredible. And that one was wild. They get the win there. And uh, the Steelers beat the Ravens. But yeah. first... And foremost, before I mention anything else about any other NFL mm. team, ladies and gentlemen, round of applause for the Detroit Lions' first win of the season. Everybody. <laughs> you did it, guys. Dan Campbell, Jared Goff, and the boys <laughs> get it done. They beat the Minnesota Vikings 29-27. And Gabe, of course it would come against Kirk Cousins in this <laughs> Vikings team that has had every game go down to the wire. Uh, and, of course, it's this Vikings team that finally lets the Detroit Lions have their first win of the season. I, I have a... A Vikings friend and you know me being a Saints fan that that, that causes a lot of trouble but <laughs> I, I mean I don't even have to say anything about this I mean losing to the Lions like come on <laughs> you, you should be relegated you should be canceled I, I will I will say this the Detroit Lions are now a better team than the Minnesota Vikings you know I'll say that with full confidence I just until, wanna, until they can prove me otherwise we, until they beat they go out and they beat the Cardinals <laughs> or they beat the Buc well they already lost to the Cardinals but that should automatically uh, get you relegated losing to that Detroit team. We were, we were talking before the show about the AFC being a lot better than the NFC, but when you look at the bottom teams, I mean, you got the Texans, the Jags, and I forgot who else, but uh, the Jet, the Texans, the Jags, yeah. and the, yeah. And then the, in the NFC, you have the Lions, and then you have the Bears and the Seahawks. I mean, tell me which which conference you want right there. Yeah, I, I would t I would take the NFCs right now more than the AFCs there you go. for sure. It's not about who's at the top, who's Th in the bottom. That's the thing. Like, well, I don't a, sorry, go ahead. No, no, I was going to – Go, Jackson. I was going to say, well, that depends on how you ask the question. Are you saying, do you pick the team that's going to represent the the NFC versus the team that's going to represent the AFC? Or are you saying, I'm just joking. You know, <laughs> I know you're saying, but if you take like, you, all the best AFC you players. You can definitely tell which conference is better by their bottom three teams. Yes, I think absolutely. We, we are, we're confident in saying that. But, you know, speaking of the AFC, it's it's been as advertised the last couple of weeks. We keep saying it, but uh, what on earth are we going to – 
make of this AFC. The Chargers go on the road to Cincinnati a week after getting blown out by the, the Broncos. And the Bengals, who were coming off a blowout win against the Steelers, the Chargers go right into Cincinnati and manhandle Joe Burrow and the Bengals 41-24. to uh, They get the victory. Both teams are now 7-5, and five, but that game is just a microcosm of how weird this AFC has been and how we really haven't been able to trust any other team uh, besides, at this point, the New England Patriots, who we're going to see later tonight. Uh, Jackson, what do you make of this AFC, and are you confident in any team other than the Patriots or the Bills that we'll see later Or the tonight? Dolphins, yeah. I, uh, <laughs> I'm just that in there. <laughs> What's crazy is I'm looking at the standings right now, and so New England and Buffalo are playing tonight. Of course, um, let's just say that in New England wins. They'll be nine and four, right? The Dolphins are six and seven, so they're three games out, right? Three games out. I'm not trying to make a Dolphins point. I'm just saying they're three games out. And you're just saying like one of those teams could absolutely be like be right back in it. Exactly. Yeah, the Dolphins are three games out. Same goes and for they're the Raiders. Yeah. They're in twelfth, and that's just how close the AFC is. And so you you pretty much have to have a winning record in December. Yeah. Uh, if you're an AFC team that's in the hunt. If you don't, you're either going to have a, a really low wild card spot or you're not making the playoffs at all. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, one team, I keep saying it every single week, look out for the Chiefs. Yeah. <laughs> the Chiefs, they get another ugly win on Sunday night. Uh, they beat the Broncos, I think it was 23-9 to, to, to nine or 23-13. to 13. Uh, Ended up being the final score. Just a, a terrible game from the Broncos' <laughs> offense. But the Chiefs, again, defense is winning the day for them while Mahomes continues to struggle. But you keep giving them that leeway. You keep giving them time to figure it out all while they're stacking up these wins. I think they've won five in a row now Yeah. Uh, to go along with the football team and, and another team that I'm forgetting right now for the longest winning streak. Oh, the Patriots, sorry. Longest winning streaks in, in the NFL. Do not let them back into this or else they will take that number one seat away from everyone and they won't lose again until they get to uh, Los Angeles for the Super Bowl. But speaking of the AFC Last minute of the show here, Monday Night Football, potential game of the year preview that we're that we're about to break down here. Uh, Patriots come into this game eight and four, uh, a half a game up on the Buffalo Bills in the AFC East. They go to Buffalo tonight, uh, and Gabe, I'll ask you to start this off. Uh, what are you looking at in this game to to kind of decide who is going to come out on top in that AFC East? There will be snow. There yes, will we be have snow, live footage of it, and it looks miserable. It looks awesome. I cannot wait. I love football weather. Um, <laughs> I, I think the Bills win this. I think this is the game where the Patriots falter. Uh, we've seen every single AFC team, you know, go through their ups and downs, and the Patriots—they didn't start the season too well, but they've they found their groove. They found their identity under Mac Jones, and I think the Bills will will finally get a signature win somehow against the rival Patriots at home. Um, I think Josh Allen's gonna really put on a show. I, I think that he and Stephon Diggs are going to carve up that, that, that Pat's secondary. That It's been pretty good, but I, I think this is a Monday night game that the, the Bills just simply, they, they single-handedly highlight this game as a must-win because if not, then how do you go throughout the rest gonna of the season? You're going to go back to New England and try to beat the Patriots mm-hmm. there? I, I think you're absolutely right. I think this is this is the Josh Allen game. This is this is why you draft a guy like that that can throw through these wins, through this snow, and potentially win you a huge divisional game against your arch-rival Patriots. Uh, I'm going to pick the Bills as well. I think that these are two evenly matched teams. We'll obviously see later tonight how they stack up for the first time this season. But for most of the season, it's been one of those things where I read this as a, 
oh yeah, the Bills will win their game at home. Patriots mm-hmm. will win their game at home. Two electric atmospheres in both of them. I do think that the Bills get the win tonight. Josh Allen comes through. Uh, Jackson, can we trust Mac Jones on the road in a game like this? Well, now that you mentioned snow, um, I was I was gonna say that Josh Allen. This game is entirely dependent on Josh Allen. Um, but here's the thing. Mac Jones played at Alabama, and he's from Jacksonville. No offense to, to Jacksonville. Um, but he grew up in the warmer weather. He played in warmer weather. Uh, Josh Allen went to Wyoming. He's played in that colder weather. Uh, he's been in it. And so I'm going to have to give that edge to Josh Allen tonight. But I still believe the entire game is dependent on Josh Allen and how he plays. Yeah, so you're picking so Bills, though? I'm picking Bills 21-17. Nice. Very few field goals, as you said. Gotcha. And rounding out the panel, Kylie, do you have a, a read on tonight's game? Well, first I'd like to say that I have seen snow flurries in Jacksonville before. Mm. It, it, does, respect. it does get a little chilly sometimes. I mean, not snow. But um, I trust Mac Jones. I think he's protected the football. I think he's put out great numbers for a rookie quarterback. Um, Pats are on a six-game win streak. I'm taking the Pats. Keep They keep it going? I think wow. so. Wow. We shall see. I think it's going to be an amazing game. Two really, really talented teams kind of hit. Well, the Bills haven't even hit their stride yet, but the Patriots are in full Death Star mode. <laughs> so we'll see them later tonight. I think at 8:20 is is kickoff time there. So a lot, lot of a uh, lot of action tonight. Obviously, Seminole soccer gets underway uh, at eight o'clock, and then Monday night football comes up. But that is going to do it for us here on Tomahawk Talk. Uh, from myself, Luke Hazen, from Gabe Tisnes, Jackson Bakage, uh, Kylie Brennan. On the panel, Jack Alario on Twitter and uh, commentating on soccer. And then, of course, we have Sebastian Andriano, Scott Clemens in the booth on the ones and twos. A uh, little housekeeping note before we leave. Uh, next week, we're going to do the show like like usual. Uh, and then we are going to sign off for a couple weeks, come back after Christmas break, uh, and break down everything that you missed in the world of sports. But for myself, Luke Hazen, this has been Tomahawk Talk. You are listening to WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State.